Welcome to What Works. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. This show is all about exploring what's really working for small business owners, because there are a lot of assumptions and misconceptions about what it takes to build a stronger business. This week, I'm bringing you something a little different. It's an interview that I did for Andrea Jones' podcast, The Savvy Social Podcast. Andrea and I are both on a mission to bust some of the assumptions that people have about what's good for business when it comes to social media marketing. For me, it's a small part of what I do, but for Andrea, this is her whole business. Andrea runs a thriving social media marketing agency called Online Drea, as well as a training community for small business owners called Savvy Social School. I've featured Andrea here on the pod before, and we talked about how she approaches social media pretty differently when it comes to her own business versus how she manages social media for her clients with very different business models. And good news, next week's episode is a follow-up to that conversation. Now, I respect the heck out of the way Andrea approaches social media and the way she trains other small business owners to manage their own marketing. And so when she asked if she could interview me about the unconventional approach I've taken to social media this year, I was honored. What follows is that conversation. And if you like this conversation, you're going to love Andrea's podcast, The Savvy Social Podcast. So check that out wherever you listen to What Works and tell her I sent you, okay? Now, I asked Andrea if I could rebroadcast this conversation here at What Works because I think it gives a glimpse into how simplifying can help you focus on quality over quantity. So without further ado, let's get into it. Listen up for the most concise explanation I've ever given for the philosophy behind What Works, why I'm focused on remarkable content this year, and how that focus has simplified the way I produce content for social media. I also talk about how I view my job at What Works as a content creator, which is a job that I love, but isn't right for everyone. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode number 146 of the Savvy Social Podcast. This show is brought to you by Fan Booster by Traject, which is the world's most complete social media management tool. And it's my tool of choice when it comes to scheduling, managing, and especially reporting on social media. Try them out for yourself for free by clicking the link in the show notes. Now, I'm super excited to bring on one of my favorite mentors and coaches, Tara McMullen, to the show. Definitely feels like a full circle moment as her podcast was one of the first podcasts on business that I listened to that and the Being Boss podcast, which I think is how I found Tara, um, was like pivotal to building my business. For those of you who don't know Tara, she is a coach, community builder, podcaster, and writer. She's the founder of What Works, a digital platform for small business owners who are building strong, resilient, and sustainable companies. She's also the co-founder of Yellow House Media, a podcast production agency that helps entrepreneurs create standout podcasts that grow their business. Tara's podcast, What Works, has been downloaded over 2 million times and boasts over 300 interviews with small business owners. And I'll put the link to my interview on that podcast in the show notes as well. Now, for those of you just tuning in, this month we're talking all about micro habits. So we're going to dig into Tara's micro habits when it comes to social media. 
But if you want to learn more about how we approach these concepts, definitely sign up for our free course. It's at onlinedrea.com slash free. It'll give you a little sample of what we're exploring today and this month in the school, all about creating the right habits that work for you. So without further ado, Tara, welcome to the show. I am so thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for having me, Andrea. Yes. I, like I said, full circle moment, but, and I know you've had a long history in building businesses. So I do want to touch on that a little bit, just to give our our listeners a little bit of context, because you're not new to this whole business building game. No, I am not. I have been on Twitter since 2008. I started the blog that became multiple businesses in 2009, January of 2009. Uh, So yeah, I've been around the block a few times. I have seen things from all sorts of different angles, my own and others. And I am very much a lifelong learner. So I'm also constantly finding out new information, seeing new things, connecting new ideas that give me a different perspective on how I want to be showing up online. And I love this topic of micro habits because for me, that is everything I'm thinking about right now. Uh, not only when it comes to social media, but really how I structure my life, how I structure my work, how I structure managing two companies. So I'm really excited to dive into this. Oh, yes. All of the goodness into that. I want to also touch on your kind of like a little bit of your philosophy. And this is part of what attracted me to your brand and your business in that you don't necessarily tell people what to do. You more so facilitate conversations to help people figure out what they want to do. Tell us a bit about the what works philosophy. Yeah, I love this question. Um, So I am going to talk about this in terms of an article and a newsletter and an Instagram post that I made last week about epistemology. So like literally my philosophy on business support. So epistemology is a philosophical term that simply means figuring out how we know what we know, like what is the root of our knowledge? And so as a business coach, as someone very experienced in business building and helping other people build their businesses, I have a lot of epistemological authority when it comes to business. However, I also know that every business is different and every business owner has uh, epistemic authority over their own business. So basically that means that I know a lot about business, but you know a lot about your business. And that distinction is incredibly important to me. And it's also what I see incredibly missing from so much of the discourse about business building online and even offline too. I mean, you know, go to a bookstore and pull out any book uh, from a CEO or a management consultant and, you know, they're telling you how to run your business, right? And it's not that there aren't things to learn, right? And it's not that I don't have things to teach or a perspective that's super valuable to a lot of people. But if you aren't clear on your own authority over your business, your own agency to make the decisions that are right for you and and that take the action that's right for you, then you're going to wind up doing all sorts of things because I said so, and not because it's actually working for you or right for you or aligned with your values. So my approach to supporting business owners is very much about dialogue. 
and facilitation and finding ways to share what I know and what I see while also inviting others to wrestle with those ideas from their own perspective and their own knowledge uh, and really creating an opening for that instead of just hoping that it happens, kind of actively creating the channels that people can use to explore those things for themselves. Ooh, it's it's really sounds like intentional dialogue. It's it's purposeful conversation about these topics. Um, and this is something that I struggle with a lot as well in my business. And even the way that I teach social media, I have a philosophy and a strategy and a framework that I teach. But also, if it doesn't work for you, don't do it. Right. Figure out what works for you. So let's talk about what works for you. You mentioned that this concept first lived in a newsletter and an Instagram post and a blog post. So tell us this beautiful repurposing strategy. <laughs> yeah. So my whole content strategy for 2021 is to focus on creating remarkable content. Um, to me, remarkable content is anything that you read or hear or watch or listen to that sticks with you and kind of resurfaces over and over again and invites you to engage with it further. So that doesn't mean like go back and leave a comment. I mean, like how you're adding to that idea or what you're going to go and do with it in your life or in your work or in your relationships. And so my goal for this year has been to really focus on creating things that will fulfill that definition of remarkable content. And I think we all know that that takes a lot of time. <laughs> Every so often, right, we can stumble on the perfect tweet or the perfect soundbite that in very short order creates that sort of sense of remarkability and, and absolutely sticks with people. It's not just that remarkable content is long content or in-depth content or uses vocabulary like epistemic entitlement, right? Like it, it doesn't require that. But most of the time, truly remarkable content takes time. So I have been figuring out how to structure the way I create content and also the way I consume content so that as much as possible, I am meeting that strategy of creating remarkable content. And so for me, that's going to require making use of everything that I create in multiple ways because I do not have the time to create daily remarkable content as much as I might like to. I'm not even sure that that would be a good idea, right? Like I'm not sure that that's the best use of my brain power on a day-to-day -day basis. But if I can, you know, find three or four times during the week where I can make the space to create something remarkable, then that's awesome. And so that's what I've been really focused on. And that has been sort of centered on the two main ways that I create content, which is writing and podcasting. So on the podcast, I've always been thinking about remarkable content. My podcasting content strategy is very intentional. It's very focused. It's uh, creative. And I think, you know, I think my show really stands out because of that. And I get that feedback from people as well. So I don't mind patting myself on the back for that. 
Um, <laughs> and so I I've been thinking a lot about, okay, how do I take that intentionality and reproduce it in my writing on a regular basis as well? And it's not that my writing before was unremarkable. It was just that it didn't hit that definition as often as I would like it to. And I like a challenge too, right? So it was like, how do I take something good and make it really so much better, if not great? And so that's been my challenge to myself on my writing. And the writing typically goes out in my newsletter every Thursday, um, which also gets posted to the blog. And what I discovered was that it kind of did that. And then it just kind of sat there and it's sure thousands of people might've read it or seen it or got it and at least gotten it delivered to their inbox. But is that content living on in a way that people are engaging with it after the fact? And the truth was no, like every so often, you know, maybe something starts ranking in search every so often people link to it. It gets shared in another newsletter and it, it takes on a little bit more life and that's great. Um, the podcast episodes certainly have a life after their release date. I love the way people go back and listen to things from years ago in the podcast feed. Makes me so happy. Um, but my blog posts just weren't getting that kind of play on a regular basis. So I started thinking about, okay, how do I take this content and put it on Instagram, uh, which is typically my, my channel of choice for now? and give it new life on that platform. And the way I started to do this last year was through just like snapping a selfie and basically putting a summarized version of my post in the caption. So long captions, but not super thought out beyond what was going in the newsletter and just cutting it down because my posts never fit <laughs> in the Instagram caption, what I wouldn't give for a higher character count. However, this year I started to get inspired to start rethinking my content through a visual design lens. And so instead of just sort of copying and pasting what I was creating, I started to think through how can I use the constraints, the tenants of this particular platform as a way of rethinking this piece of content to make it more accessible for more people and to make it more shareable as well. Because that's the other thing about the content I tend to create is it's not very shareable. It's not that the idea isn't shareable. It's just hard to share, right? It's hard to share a podcast. Um, it can be hard to share a newsletter that, that can be tough. So I started to think through like every newsletter that I would put together, what is the visual component of this? What is the visual metaphor for this? Sometimes I land on a really good one. Sometimes, frankly, I do not. <laughs> but I find a way to take the spirit and the soul of that idea and translate it into some sort of visual resource. And then from that visual resource, rewrite a caption that's not just uh, a copy and paste job from the newsletter with some of the extraneous stuff taken out, but is actually recast through whatever visual metaphor I choose or however it makes the most sense to represent that information visually. And so it's, it is repurposing and it's also like rethinking 
overthinking the idea itself to make it fit the platform. And I do the same thing with the podcast too. So uh, for now, anyway, as long as I can keep this up, Tuesdays, there's a little slide deck, a little carousel that goes out that relates to the idea behind the podcast episode. And on Thursday, there's a little slide deck that goes out that relates to the idea behind the newsletter and the blog post for that day. So that was a lot of explanation, but I will stop there. That's the main strategy for me right now. Amazing. I have so many questions because this is so detailed that I love it. And I love that you're taking what you naturally like doing, the podcast and the writing, and trying to transform it into content that fits the social media platform of choice, which for you is Instagram, right? Right. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, you know, I think that because social media platforms have inherent constraints, right? There's there's a character count. There's a way that content gets shared. There's who sees it and who doesn't see it. And it's very easy to look at those things and be like, ugh, I have to follow all of these rules and I don't like following all of these rules. And so I'm just going to get do the bare minimum to put up content that fits the rules. And then I'm going to get the hell out and do the things that I like to do better. I have certainly approached social media like that in the past. And actually, that was my original plan for Instagram (laughs) for 2021. And then I started sort of started to stumble on this new way of approaching my content. And I threw out what was the original plan and was like, no, I'm going all in on this. And so instead of looking at the rules as things I have to conform to, I look at them as creative constraints that guide me in how I can take a complex, nuanced idea and make it more accessible in a way that doesn't compromise or water it down. At least that's the goal. Like, I don't know if that's possible all the time or even ever possible, but that's that's how I approach it. And that's the goal and sort of like the driving motivation behind it. And the results so far this year have been just really awesome. And I'm still super excited every time I put something on Instagram. Yes. It's almost like, you know, art can live in any form. It could be a watercolor painting or it could be a sculpture. And you've kind of used the constraints of that platform to your advantage. Um, One of my questions is about time. So (laughs) do you know about how much time it takes you for like the newsletter? Like, I don't know if you can portion this out, but I'm curious for the newsletter itself and then the repurposing or reconstructing of that newsletter into a post. Yeah, it takes a lot of time. Um, so, and it's it is it's funny because it's taking me more time the more I get into this strategy instead of less, which is something that I need to address. It's something I was talking about uh, with our community manager Shannon last week. It's like this is this is taking a lot of time, and I love it, and it's sort of effective. No, it's effective. Is it effective in the way we need it to be effective? I think that question is still open, but like, is this a good use of my time? Okay. So how much time does it actually take? Um, Last week was definitely a uh, sort of an outlier on the amount of time side that it takes. So I will break that down and then I'll get more into like the regular, but last week was a, was super successful from a lot of different angles in that I was able to create a piece that I was incredibly proud of intellectually 
it was also a piece that was incredibly successful from the point of view of how many people commented or responded or messaged me to say, I have never heard of this before, but you have just described something I didn't have words for. And now I have words for it, which was awesome. And then it was also really successful in that it was one of my most shared posts ever on Instagram. And for such a big idea as it was, that told me a lot. Like this is working to get in front of people that have never heard of me before, who have no idea why or no idea how I approach business differently than just about everybody. Um, And that's from a strategic priority perspective. That is my main strategic priority for this year. So that, that was great. Okay. So last week, my article was a 2,500 word blog post on how we know what we know, which is that epistemic authority uh, that I was talking about earlier. And that piece took from start to finish probably about three or four hours to write. Um, I write really fast also. So when I say it took three or four hours, it probably would take a normal person um, much longer than that to write 2,500 words. (laughs) Yeah, that would take me days. (laughs) Yeah, I want to own that, not as a way of like, look at me, but like just I know that that is not a good estimate for most people. Um, But that was, you know, that was with some drafting and revising even with uh, Shannon, uh, who I mentioned earlier, to make sure that I was covering bases. Can I jump in and ask for the for the newsletter? Do you write it on a specific day to carve yes. out that amount of time, or? Well, see, that's the tricky piece is that sometimes I have that amount of time. And last week I did, which was awesome. Um, And I probably wouldn't have tried to tackle it on a day that I didn't have that much time. But Wednesdays are my newsletter day so that they can go out on Thursdays. And to show you sort of the scope creep of my how I'm tackling this right now, I used to write newsletters on Thursday morning in the hour before they went out. And it wasn't that those newsletters weren't effective and weren't good. They were great. We got lots of messages back. They were highly effective for that one thing, right? But what I didn't have in the hour, hour and a half before I sent the newsletter out was any time to repurpose that content in any meaningful way. And I'm the kind of person that's always on to the next thing. So I might like send it out and think, oh, I'll come back to that and do something else with it. And I didn't. Like, let's be clear. I did not ever come back to it, even when it was really good, which was sad. Um, So I started doing newsletters on Wednesdays uh, so that I could give myself a little bit more time and be a little bit more intentional about the uh, process behind it and the repurposing behind it. And then, yeah, last week was a, a day that I just had a big chunk of time. I had this idea. I was giddy about getting to the work of writing it out. And I gave myself that space. Um, so yeah, for about four hours on the actual writing. Another, whew, last week, Andrea, this was really bad. I probably spent like six hours on that slide deck because I was just trying to figure out how to get this giant idea that I wrote out in 2,500 words into an Instagram slide deck in 10 slides and a caption. And um 
Last week, I started working on the the newsletter at probably 8 a.m. And I wrapped up the slide deck at 9 p.m. that night and and still revised it in the morning. (laughs) So now I did other things during the day. It's not like I like I spent 11 or no, 13 hours working. I didn't Um, or and certainly not 13 hours on that particular project. But it took a big, unsustainable amount of time that day. So that's a maybe like a once a quarter kind of piece, right? Like I enjoy that process and I loved those hours that I spent on that thing, right? But it's not something I can do every week. So what is more typical is what I've got going on for this week's newsletter, which is it took me about 45 minutes this morning to write about a thousand words on a subject. Um, I'm going to go in and revise it when we're done here. And then I'm going to start the work on the slide deck. Um, the slide deck will probably take me about an hour and a half. And then I will get it scheduled into our newsletter, scheduled onto Instagram, uh, uploaded to the website. And I also, because our newsletter is sort of part article, part curated section, I'll also go through and look at all of the the links that I want to curate for this week as well. Um, One last thing on this before I find out what else you want to hear about is um, I look at my job as being a content creator. And that is a super important distinction for me as a business coach, as a business trainer and educator, is that some businesses are driven by content and lots of other businesses are not. And so that's always something that when I hear people kind of wanting to move from a one-on-one model, wanting to move from away from client services, whatever it might be, into courses, membership site, passive income, whatever it might be. It's, I have to ask the question, are you willing to make your primary job content creator? Because if you're not willing to make your primary job content creator, it's not going to work for you. But I love being a content creator. I love being a podcaster and writer and spending many, many hours a week on that. It is my jam. This is all I have really ever wanted to do with my life. And I didn't know it was going to look like this, but spending my time this way and and, uh, creating this kind of thing is all I've ever wanted to do. And so for me, filling that role and spending that many hours a week creating content makes me really happy. It's super satisfying. Um, but it's not for everybody and it's not the right business choice for everyone either. Yes. Oh, so many juicy details there. And I love that you made the distinction in your role specifically and that it is the role of a content creator because we Mm -hmm. have a lot of listeners listening to this who that may not be their job title or maybe be their aspirational job title um, or job description. So I love that. One of the things that you talked about that was really interesting to me about the time that you put into this as well is kind of how how you realized you needed to create space to be able to repurpose some of this content, which leads me to more of the technical side of what you do. Um, and I know you're a huge fan of Notion. So do where do you like spend your time writing this content? And then what are the different technical tools? I'm assuming like a Canva or something like that, that help you in this process as well. Yeah. So the tools are pretty minimal and you've 
pretty much named them. Um, the one other, and I'll get into the specifics, but the one other one that I'll throw into the mix, because it's where so much of my favorite content actually starts is the notes app. So just like the default simplest notes app that comes preloaded on your Mac or on your iPhone or your iPad, whatever it is. And I love it because to me, Notion is a little clunky on my phone, mostly I think because we have a giant Notion as a team. Um, And so it just takes forever to load. So when I'm out walking and I'm listening to a podcast or I'm sitting in front of the TV or whatever it might be, and I have an idea, I don't want to wait for Notion to load up. So I just open up the notes app and I jot down a couple of words of, you know, what I'm thinking about. And, you know, maybe I pop a link in there or I put a throw a podcast episode in there. So I know what I was doing when that, when that idea came to me or that, you know, that question that I want to explore more. And so a lot of things actually start there. I love the simplicity of it. I love how fast it is. Um, And I love that I can review it really, really quickly too. So there's absolutely no organization in it. That's always the first thing people want to know is like, well, how do you organize those things? I do not. Um, What I do is that if there comes a Wednesday that I do not have an idea, I scroll through my notes app and I look for an old idea that I had that still intrigues me today. And then I write about that. That is all there is. There is nothing else. Um, So from there, uh, in our giant notion, we have an editorial calendar that controls the podcast, the community, and all of the emails that we send out, whether they're internal emails or uh, external kind of public emails. Um, So I open up my What Works Weekly entry for that week. And I go ahead and draft it right in there. Uh, Typically, I draft without any kind of formatting to it. I just write, 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 write. Um, It is somewhere between, uh, I wouldn't call it stream of consciousness, but what it is, is, uh, and I've found that I write differently than most people. I have a sort of running dialogue in my head that I am transcribing. Um, And so my writing comes out sort of conversational and also mostly fully formed <laughs> as I'm writing it. Uh, and then I go back and edit and, you know, make it, make it better. But that's sort of the writing process piece of it. Um, then as I'm going in and revising it, that's when I'll open up Canva and say, all right, what am I doing? Sometimes the visual metaphor is really obvious. Sometimes it takes a little bit more work and sometimes it's just not there. Um, So for instance, uh, I did a a slide deck a few weeks ago uh, for a podcast episode about networking and the, the way I talked about it in the episode was getting to know your digital neighbors. And so originally I envisioned a slide deck that had cute little houses in it. And we were going to look at, there was going to be a map and there was going to be a neighborhood. And we were going to talk about, and there was going to be little people getting to know each other. And I could not find Canva elements that I liked (laughs) for this visual (laughs) metaphor, which by the way, that is most of the time it takes me in Canva is going through elements, just searching and clicking the see more like this and finding something that I like the style of that I know is going to play well on Instagram and that helps me tell a story in an interesting way. Um, So I spent 
like an hour looking for houses and I did not find any that I liked or not enough to fill 10 slides. So then I was like, okay, what else can I do with this? And uh, I knew that there was just a vast amount of house plants that I could choose from in Canva. So I switched from thinking about like the external view on the neighborhood to thinking more of like inside the home. And so I did that whole slide deck with little house plants. So it wasn't like a direct metaphor, but it was, uh, it sort of evoked the same kind of feeling. So yeah, so that's, it goes from notes to Notion to Canva. Uh, from there, it goes into ConvertKit and into our WordPress website. And then I have started to rely heavily on Facebook Creator Studio. I think I'm calling that the right thing for scheduling. Um, you know, I've tried in other Instagram schedulers in the past. They're fine. Um, and like sometimes just native is easiest for me. And I don't need a scheduler for all the other things because the content I create tends to be so channel specific. It certainly is for Instagram. That content does not work anywhere else. Like I can't even really use it on Facebook because the carousels just, unless I'm making an ad, the carousels don't make any sense. It just looks like a jumble of photos. So anyhow, I use Creator Studio to create the post and schedule it out. And then that's about it. So after you kind of schedule and post it, do you go in and kind of engage or respond to comments or... Is that more organic? I do. I'm really trying not to constantly check my Instagram after I post something, which is a personal micro habit or macro habit that is a very bad one that I have. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm addicted to the likes just like anybody else. And we all um, <laughs> oh, I love that dopamine rush. I know it's bad for me and I still love it. Um, so, I have a value around being present with the content that I create. I want to engage with people uh, who are engaging with that content. And I, I think that it's probably one of the more overlooked pieces of social media strategy. Uh, I think people are so fed up with social media right now that they schedule something and forget about it and never come back to their account and then wonder why no one's commenting, no one's liking, no one's sharing. Oh, the social media thing doesn't work. It's like, well, no, you're just not being social about the media you're creating. That's the problem. So I try to create also space for being social with the content that I've put out. So I am going in and replying to comments, you know, saying thank you as much as I can when people share something, um, kind of taking note of who is sharing it, what they're saying, what's landing. And so, yeah, so I do go back and engage. I'm just really trying to cut down on the number of times I go in <laughs> so that instead of like 12 times in an hour, maybe I do it once an hour, you know? Yes. It's a little thing. You know. <laughs> yes. I feel like I have a minimum requirement for every day, but I always exceed it. <laughs> um, so I, I'm not surprised by anyone else who does that, but I do find that um, for me, I just don't have the notifications, but I'm still, I'm still checking. I'm still checking. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. No notifications. I do okay. not get any notifications from Instagram. I used to have it on for messages and it stressed me out. And I didn't realize how much it was stressing me out until I turned them off. 
And so I get literally no notifications. I don't have the Facebook app. I don't use Facebook really, but I don't have the Facebook app on my phone. So yeah, as few notifications as possible. Yes. So with that being said, do you ever take like intentional days off from social media? No, (laughs) I'm sure Sean would prefer that I did my husband, uh, but I do not. I take days off from posting uh, Mm -hmm. because I've noticed that for some reason, even after a really popular post, Instagram is like, oh, you posted three days in a row. No one wants to see that, Tara. I'm like, they really do. <laughs> but uh, So I'm like, okay, well, then I just won't make as much stuff. That's fine. Um, so I take days off from posting, but I don't typically you know, force myself to kind of social media detox or digital detox, anything like that. What I have done very differently, though, over the last eh, four or five months or so is replace a lot of my social media time with more remarkable content. So kind of going back to that idea that I started with, for my money, I can't create remarkable content if I'm not consuming remarkable content. It's sort of like um, another kind of idea around this is like that signal versus noise kind of thing that people talk about. How do you find the signal in the noise? And, you know, there's so much noise on social media and I can't create signal from noise, right? I can only create signal from more signal. And so I'm consciously and purposefully and and sort of reveling in taking more time to consume signal, which automatically just means there's not as much space for hanging out on Instagram or Twitter or whatever all day. So I'm reading a lot more. I listen to a ton of podcasts. I have started to subscribe to so many Substacks. I love Substacks. And it's not, I should be clear, the platform. It's that I love really well thought out newsletters like mine. Um, And I know that if I'm paying attention to those things, that then I am creating things that other people want to pay attention to. And that to me is also a really big driving factor in how I'm structuring my content creation time and my content consumption time now, which is, you know, am I paying attention to the kinds of things that I am also out there creating? And am I creating that sort of feedback loop uh, with how I invest my attention so that instead of just always engaging with unremarkable content, engaging with noise, I'm engaging with the stuff I want to see more of, and I'm engaging with the stuff that I want to create and have people engage with. So that's been a big shift for me. And it is just so good. It's so good. (laughs) It's all about being intentional with what you surround yourself with. You know, there's that saying that you are the five closest people or the five people you surround Mm -hmm. yourself with. It's the same for content. You'll create what you consume basically. And so if you consume a particular type of content piece or style, then you'll probably start creating content in that way as well. Or even just noticing what sorts of things are out there. I feel like really just impacts our own creativity, which I love. I love that. Yes. And that is such a perfect opportunity to say that I did not invent this Instagram style, right? I think, I hope that people listening would know that, but (laughs) I am copying other people. And by copying, I mean like copying like an artist. (laughs) So I'm not, I'm not like 
stealing other people's content, but I am taking that inspiration that I have gotten from the incredible little tiny decks that people are putting together as ways of not only creating value, quote unquote, valuable content on social media, but creating something that's truly remarkable, where you really do walk away with something that you can use, walk away with something that makes you think, uh, walk away with something that sheds light on an experience that's different from your own. And that's been the most exciting stuff that I've seen on Instagram. So you're exactly right. It is no surprise that that's the type then of content that I started to play with and then kind of fell in love with. Yes. I love that. And I love that you said slide decks because I think that really frames what those posts are because it essentially Mm -hmm. is, you know, it's got to have a storyline. It's got to have a beginning, middle and end instead of just a bunch of things put together. Um, so those those kind of slide decks or carousel style posts seem to be the anchor of your your social media content. And I know that just from like studying how you approach this, um, I want to say last year, you were really focused on doing the stories. And I remember how you would um your stories would essentially be what the podcast topic were was on. So you'd kind of introduce the topic. It would be very similar to what was your intro on the podcast. Um, And you've kind of switched gears into these carousel posts. And I know you'll probably switch it up again in, you know, next year or something like that. So can you talk a little bit about maybe your habits around following your intuition with, with that sort of strategy, because it has shifted and it'll probably shift in the future. Yeah, this is a great question. Um, I think my philosophy on this is finding the overlap between what is exciting me creatively and what I'm finding satisfying and fulfilling from a creator standpoint and what's working on the platform. Um, I will never be the kind of person that does what the algorithm tells me to do, but I also don't want to be the kind of person that ignores the algorithm. Like what what does the algorithm know that I don't know is is sort of like the question that really interests me. I'm not sure that I've ever said it that way before, but that, that is the heart of it for me. It's like the algorithm is designed for a purpose. If I know what that purpose is, which is keeping people on the platform, keeping them engaged with content. And it's saying this kind of content is more engaging. This kind of content creates more feedback loops, creates more engagement loops, creates some more follows, then that's good information for me to have, right? It's not about gaming the algorithm. It's about learning what the algorithm has to teach me. So if I can take what's exciting me creatively and then match that with what the algorithm is teaching me to create something that is more engaged, uh, meets my goals, then awesome. So yes, last year I was, well, and, and really for the last couple of years, I was really invested in stories. And one of the reasons was because um, video has always been a strong way for me to communicate but it's not something that I do naturally on my own. Like if someone else is like, Tara, here's a camera. Will you talk into it? Sure. All day long. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> I've done many all day long things in front of a camera. Um, 
but it is not something like every time I set up the camera for myself, I get completely stumped and just fall apart. Like it is so frustrating to me. And so a lot of that was kind of practicing with a medium that I know that I'm good at, but that I have a lot of hangups around. I also knew that those stories were getting a lot of engagement. I was hoping they were leading to additional podcast downloads. There was really no way to figure that out, but that's what I was hoping. Um, and you know, for quite a while, Instagram was really pushing stories as a way to create those sort of engagement loops that I was talking about before. Um, so that's why I was all in on that. But then I found that I was taking so much time with that not really enjoying it, not really like it just, it had ceased to be creatively fulfilling for me anymore. And it had ceased to teach me anything about what I was creating at the same time, which is totally a recipe for creative burnout on my end. So I stopped and also just sort of like decided, is this really the way that I want to be communicating to people? Is there value in it? Yes. But is this the way I want to be communicating with people? And the answer was no. I want to be communicating with people on the podcast and through my writing. So what could it look like to do that on Instagram in a way that is, um, again, creatively satisfying and also in line with the algorithm? Um, and so that is sort of how I approach any experimentation that I do in social media in general, in content marketing in general, is just trying to figure out what is going to make me happy <laughs> from a creative standpoint, what's going to be pleasurable from a content standpoint, and then also what's going to get me in front of the right people, whether that's in front of the, the people who already know, like, and trust me and my brand or whether it is brand new people, which is, like I said, what my strategy is or strategic priority is right now. Um, so that's that's what's always guiding the changes. It will guide whatever the next change is, whether that's a couple of months from now or a year from now, or it won't be more than a year from now, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, it does seem to take a lot of time. So I'm, I'm going to be watching on Instagram to, to see the shifts, if yeah. any. Um, one of the, my last question is around this idea of strategic priority and how you measure the success of these campaigns. So you mentioned earlier that, you know, this recent post got the most shares, mm -hmm. um, but are there any other success indicators for you that you look for as you're creating this content? Because I think there is a balance between creating something that is fulfilling creatively for you, but also it has to, to fit with the need of the business, not just creating content because we enjoy it. There's obviously a business behind all of this. Mm -hmm. So where is that line for you? Yeah. Um, so I did mention shares, which you mentioned again. And to me, that is the metric that I'm looking at at social media right now because of what the business needs. So we have spent the last few years just really firming up the operational foundation of the business, getting really, really good at not just what we do, but the way we do what we do. Then the systems behind it, the philosophy behind it, the policies, the procedures, everything. And in that time, I really took my foot off the gas of marketing and growing my audience and the business's audience. And I knew, you know, 2021 has got to be the year that I put the foot back on the gas. And so, 
to do that, I have to get in front of new people. I have to do that kind of growth and discovery part of marketing that is not my strong suit. I would love to just, you know, preach to the choir all day long. <laughs> and, but yeah. preaching to the choir doesn't get more people baptized, I guess, to continue with the metaphor, right? The whole choir is baptized. I need to get new believers in the door, right? So that's, that is why I am focused on shares because if I can create content that people are sharing, they're sharing it with people who do not know who Tara McMullen is, who have never heard of what works, um, who may not already be podcast listeners in general, who may start listening to podcasts because they want to hear more from me. Um, and then, of course, obviously, hopefully they will join our community as well. And so that's why that metric is so important to me. I'm also looking at my follower count because, yes, I want to see the reach of each post go up as well. And I'm getting so close to that 10,000 mark. And I just really want that swipe up feature. Gosh, <laughs> darn it. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's where we all are. I know. That is where my vanity... like. You know what's going to happen is I'm going to hit like 9,967 and then they're going to be like, everybody gets to swipe up now. And I will be furious. <laughs> yes. But I digress. Um, shares to me are in a direct result of <laughs> the signal behavior that is the behavior I am trying to create, right? So I want to create content that people want to share. When they share it, I know I've succeeded. And when they share it, I know that sort of lagging indicator of new people finding out about us is also being achieved. So the share, I suppose, is sort of the leading indicator that I'm looking at. And ideally, uh, we're getting to then the lagging indicator of new people actually seeing it. I will also add here too, that I am not only focused on Instagram as our growth and discovery strategy, we also are running Facebook ads as well to get into new people uh, or in front of new people. So it's sort of like a, it's sort of a tag team at this point is that, you know, the work that I'm doing on Instagram really shows what makes me or us different. And Instagram is going to be one of those places where a new person who's found us through an ad, whether on Facebook or Instagram, might go to check it out more, right? And I want people who are interested in seeing more than just a cute ad for a lead magnet. They're wanting something that's a little bit more in-depth. And if I can show them that on our Instagram profile, then awesome. Oh, yes. And I, I just love how thoughtfully you approach every area of your business. So to be able to spend this time with you and kind of dive into how thoughtfully you approach social media has been absolutely fantastic. I'm sure those who are listening or watching are taking lots of notes. And if they want to kind of learn more about your approach, you've got the Stronger Business Assessment. Can you tell us a bit about what that is? Yeah. So the Stronger Business Assessment um, kind of comes out of this visual thinking that I've been doing so much of, but it's rooted in sort of my core philosophy of business building, which is that, you know, we tend to focus so much on marketing or pricing or like what online course you're going to build in terms of growing a business, but there's so much more to it 
than that. And so that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about building a stronger business is a strong, resilient, sustainable business covers all of the bases. And so for us, those bases are personal and social sustainability, financial sustainability, and operational sustainability. And the stronger business assessment goes into what each of those sort of buckets or components of a strong business are, and then leads you through um, a self-assessment. So you can kind of figure out, all right, where do I need to put a little bit more attention? What might be causing some of the headaches that I get from my business on, uh, you know, occasionally or frequently? And uh, where do I go from here? So that's what the, that's what the self-assessment is all about. And uh, it's at explorewhatworks.com slash assessment. Yes. And I'll put that link in the description and with the show notes. I recently took it myself. It helped me examine some of my personal values and how they could show up in the business, which I really loved. Um, And it's something you can come to again and again. So it's free. So (laughs) why not download it? So again, the link will be in the description and with the show notes. Um, And also follow Tara on Instagram at Tara underscore McMullen. I'll put that link and all of the links. Go look at her feed, the beautifulness of it all. Tara, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk through all of this and think through all of it. Because you know, it just lives up in my head all the time. And it is also very creatively satisfying to actually talk it through. Yay. And we are creatively satisfied by going through that exploration with you. Um, Now, for those of you who love the show, make sure you leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate the support, all of the listeners. It's because of y'all that we are at the top 100 marketing podcast in the US, Canada, and now in the UK and Australia. So thank you so much for your support. I'll see you next week. We're continuing this conversation about micro habits and also shifting into some of the mindful marketing strategies that we talk about in the school as well. So I'll see you next week for that episode. Until then, bye for now. As always, What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. If you're looking to build a community, offer an online course, facilitate fascinating discussions, host online events, or all of the above, Mighty Networks makes it easy. To learn more about what Mighty Networks can do for you, go to MightyNetworks.com. And if you're looking for more assumption-busting, conventional wisdom-challenging conversations like this one, check out the What Works Network. We're accepting new members right now before we start our deep dive into building an audience in May. When you join now, you'll get a full month devoted to unconventional perspectives on marketing your business. Plus, you'll get access to our members-only virtual conference in June on gathering your team and getting help. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash network to get all the details. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer. Our production assistant is Emily Kilduff. This episode was edited for our feed by Marty Seafelt. Remember, check out Andrea Jones' podcast, The Savvy Social Podcast, for more great ideas about building your audience on social media.